Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the video series, The Biblical Principle Governing the Eyes. This is a very, very critical uh, series of lessons that will help each child of God to be able to have victory uh, in their lives every day. And so uh, this is lesson one of this video series, and it is an introductory video. Many scriptures directly and indirectly tell us about the eyes of the Lord and the Lord seeing or looking. So the power of sight is one of the greatest natural blessings that the Creator gave to man because it is uh, it is like Him. When the Creator gave us eyes, He gave us a limited version of one of the capabilities of deity. That's an important thing for us to understand. God has eyes at least figuratively speaking, God sees. And when he gave man, who was made in his image, the ability to see, he gave man a, a, a portion of himself, one of his abilities. But the creator also intended that the eyes uh, would give us pleasure. Uh, we know this because of the beauty he specifically created for the eyes to look upon. When he uses his artistic paintbrush to color the morning or the evening sky, how could anyone doubt his intent for our eyes to feast on beauty? He is the ultimate artist, the consummate artist. I am a uh, photographer by hobby. My dad was a photographer in the Navy for 30 years. And one of my favorite things to do is to photograph sunrises and sunsets. There's no two of them alike. And the, the master artist, the creator artist, is able to create some of the most stunningly spectacular scenery. Why would he do that if he did not expect us to have pleasure from sight and the pleasure of sight? Both of these are gifts of our Heavenly Father. He intended for us to have the pleasure of sight and pleasure from sight. But uh, unlike many, many gifts of God, this, this gift of God, this gift of sight, can be hijacked and subverted by the, by the flesh. And that which was meant for good and for wholesome pleasure becomes evil to us. We look at the sunrise and sunset. We look at the beauty of nature that God created. We look at the beauty of a flower. And what is the purpose of a seeing such beauty? It is to give God glory for what he has done. When the world and flesh hijacks this gifting and uses it in a perverted way, to get us to desire things that God says are not positive for us and gets us to be, it causes us to be entrapped by our love of that pleasure of the sight. Uh, we don't give him glory for that. We take the glory because we take the pleasure unto ourselves rather than giving him thanks for that. So what we do with our eyes is very, very critical. Because the road to heaven or hell is too often determined by how we use our eyes. And that's a huge statement, isn't it? Isn't it? The road to heaven or hell 
is often determined by how we use our eyes. What, 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 what a statement that is. But it's true. And as we will understand in the, this video series, we will see how critical our eyes are and how we, how we, and how we use them is to our personal salvation, to our faith, to our walk with God. This is very, very critical for our salvation. And so as we go through this, these lessons, I'm hoping that you will, uh, you will accept, uh, this premise and see how critical it is for you to understand what the Bible says about how we are to govern the use of our eyes. To better understand the truth of this statement, let's consider how the eyes work with our brain and our souls. And so this is going to be a little technical, but uh, not so technical because I'm not the one, uh, I'm not a uh, an, an expert in these things, but I can read just like you. And so uh, I have uh, researched these things. And this is just some information here to really help us understand the functionality and how this functionality affects us spiritually. So this is how sight works. Light clusters or photons enter the eye and are transformed into electrical impulses by the retina and carried by the optic nerve to a small area in the posterior of the brain where the impulses are registered and processed as what we call an image. This, this functionality of the eye processing what it sees, sending what is processed by the optic nerve to the, to the back of the brain that is the part of our brain where sight is, uh, and that, those signals being processed by the brain and creating the image of what the eyes have seen in our minds, and then registering that as an image, uh, what an amazing process. And God created that process. And it's a very effective and, can I say, miraculous or supernatural process because it is so far beyond man's ability to produce exactly the same thing. And so we call this sight. This is sight. However, sight entails much more than what we physically see. And this is where physical sight begins to cross the border into spiritual sight. Once the signals from the optic nerves are processed by the brain, from there this new image interfaces with various neurological clusters that give meaning to the image. And so our brain immediately begins to associate <coughs> this image with our past experiences, our memories. Not only is the image itself defined and recognized and acknowledged, but the context of the image and the associative experiences with similar images and related information to that image and our previous responses to that image are joined with that specific image to form in us a memory, a memory. So what my mind sees and my brain processes 
and then connects to everything I know about what I'm seeing and my past experiences with what I'm seeing forms a memory. And that memory is permanently written to the hard drive called my mind. It's in there. Now you say, well, my, my, my memory doesn't work. We're talking about short-term memory or conscious memory. But it is, it is uh, scientifically proven that every memory we've ever had is recorded in the brain. Now, there may be problems with the brain pulling up those memories at times to our conscious mind, but they're there. In fact, there's been uh, tests done where they opened up a person's skull and they connected that person to uh, elect, uh, to a, they, they had a screen there and they had electrodes and they would touch per, per certain parts of a person's brain and it would trigger memories that were recorded and, and, and that person was aware of. It's there. All of those memories are there. So it is at this point that temptation occurs. Between an instance of exposure to our environment, which is the world we live in, by any of the five senses, and the moments after the neurological interfaces occur, a feeling is produced. So I see an image, and we're talking about specifically one of the five senses, sight. So I see an image, the brain processes it, it then associates it with everything it knows about what that image sees, and then... There is a neurological response and and a psychological response to that image, and that's called a feeling. Since the soul is the seat of our will and our feelings, this is the point of soul interface as well. So what started out as a physical sight and seeing this, and then with the processes, the intricate processes that God designed in our being so that all of our, our parts and, and, and organs and functions all work together seamlessly and simultaneously almost, uh, this all comes to the place where it then affects who I really am, which is my soul. If this feeling is against the word of God, it can result in a sudden feeling of being affected or influenced by temptation. So I see this, my brain processes it, then associates it with all it knows, and that becomes identified with my, uh, it becomes a memory. That memory then affects my soul. A feeling is produced, and if that feeling is contrary to the word of God, I'm now experiencing temptation. Once neurologically formed, the memories alone can open us up to a wide variety of things directly and indirectly related to the original image. This is true whether or not we sinned in the initial instance. So whatever I put in here, whatever I put in here, in my mind and therefore in my soul, my heart, which is the the heart is the subconscious part of the soul. The mind is the conscious part of the soul. So the soul has two primary parts, the heart and the mind. Again, the mind is the conscious part of the soul. The heart is the subconscious part of the soul. So whatever I put into the conscious part of my soul 
ends up in the subconscious part of my soul or the inner man. And it's there. It's there. And its effect upon us is always there except by the blood of Jesus, by the word of God, by the spirit of God, by the grace of God. These things, these things of God working in my life are the only thing that can keep me from living according to those memories, good or bad. Remembering the original image becomes unnecessary eventually. Only something even remotely related to it can trigger the mechanisms of temptation. So once I have that memory, I don't have to have that exact memory again. But if I experience, if I see something or watch something that forms a memory that is associated with or similar to that previous memory, whatever temptation I had with that previous memory, I'm, I'm having again now. And this, mem- this temptation is stronger because now it's multiplied. It's multiplied because every memory has a feeling with it, good or bad, happy or sad, positive or negative. Flesh remembers its experiences from previously seeing a similar image. Our humanity is designed to remember that. That's a good thing if we're remembering the things of God, if we're remembering our a word from God, if we're remembering an experience with the Lord, if we're remembering things that we prayed that he did, uh, all of those things. That's a, that's a good thing. But again, everything God has created for good, flesh and the world and the adversary can use against us if we allow it to happen. Because flesh remembers its experience from previously seeing a similar image, that's why even a small amount of sinning with the eyes, for instance, pornography, and that's certainly not the only way we sin with our eyes, is more damaging to us than many will ever admit to or even imagine. This is also why knowledge of Scripture is so important to resisting temptation. Because the Holy Ghost will cause specific scriptures to also selectively interface with a related image. So that, I mean, this is how God works. So I see this image, it for, uh, I see my mind forms the image that's collected, that's associated with everything I know about and have experienced about that image. That becomes a memory. And so that memory triggers other memories. And that may be a negative thing, but God also takes what he's put in us, his word, his love, his spirit, his grace, and he brings up what he has to say about that memory. Now, that puts us in the place where we have to make a choice, isn't it? So God makes this effort to keep us from falling into temptation or negative uh, uh, making wrong decisions when we are tempted, because even Jesus was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. So the, the, the feeling of temptation is not sin. It is our response, the choice we make, and how to respond to that temptation that is sin or not sin. So when God brings this up to us, it is at this point we are put in the place of having to choose what our response will be to these two influences. So I've got these two influences. 
one from the flesh and one from God, the Spirit of God. What am I going to do with those? The soul, of course, does the choosing, which becomes harder when self-justification, feelings of the need of fleshly gratification, combined with delayed the delayed consequences of doing wrong, add strength to the spiritual stronghold of lust that had resulted from our past habitual carnal decisions. All of this constitutes the very significant factors in physical and natural side of, of the building and being under the influence of spiritual strongholds. So when I habitually choose to do what flesh wants rather than what God wants, I'm building in my life a spiritual stronghold which makes it more and more difficult for me to resist that stronghold of my habitual choices. But if that's true, it's only true because that is a perversion of the positive. I can walk in the Spirit. I can walk in the Spirit. I can make choices. Walking is a step at a time. I can make choices to, to by the empowerment of the grace of God, the Spirit of God, according to the Word of God, to please God when I am tempted. I can set up a positive spiritual stronghold by habitually yielding to God. Both of those are possibilities. It is not the devil making me do anything. He doesn't have that authority to violate my will. If God will not violate my will, the adversary cannot violate my will. And so because that's the case, whichever stronghold is built by my habitual actions is up to me. Now, what if I don't habitually do either one? What if I fall into this one and then I recover by the grace of God and then I do his will for a few days and then I fall back into this temptation and then he pulls me out of that pit by the grace and the love of God and then I do his will for a while. What if I never consistently, by the grace of God, do the will of God? And so I don't build a a true spiritual stronghold or a spiritual habit in God. What if I don't do that? Then I, I become dead in the water. I don't have victory, but I don't have victory. I don't have victory over temptation, but I don't have victory in doing the things God wants me to do. So I'm living in this this uh, no man's land. Paul said this in Galatians 5, verse uh, 17. He said, uh, the flesh lusteth against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. You can't please God. But here's the misery of that. And this is why some Christians are so miserable. They're not pleasing their flesh because when they give into that temptation and there is pleasure in sin for a season, a short season, uh, even though there are consequences that are far worse than the pleasure, uh, the consequences are not immediate most of the time. And so here I am and, uh, and, but, but the spirit of God in my own conscience, uh, talks to me against doing this, uh, this thing I'm doing. And so I repent. And so then I give myself for a day or two or a few days to doing the will of God. But then I, 
I, I, I find myself back to doing this. And so I'm back and forth. And so there's no peace and there's no joy and there's no fulfillment. And because I'm not fulfilled in God, because I'm not walking with God, I'm stumbling constantly or I'm, I'm restoring my relationship with God, but I'm not really being restored in my relationship with God. There's a difference. I'm restoring my relationship with God, but I'm not being restored in my relationship with God. John said it this way in John 15. I'm not choosing to abide in him. I'm just visiting. So I know I can't live over here. I don't want to go to hell, but I can't live. I can't, I'm not abiding in God. So I'm just kind of visiting. Well, here's the problem with that. There's no fullness in that. There's no fulfillment of that. There's no joy in that. There's no peace in that. So that leaves me open to and very vulnerable to constantly being tempted to go back to whatever momentary pleasure I can get out of uh, giving into the temptations of my flesh. That's, uh, <laughs> that is so, uh, treacherous for us so we don't maybe we don't habitually fall but we, and so there's no stronghold built but we, we don't habitually follow God we don't consistently follow God and so we don't get all the benefits of a faithful walk with God because again he said if we walk in the spirit Galatians 5 16 we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh why? Because our soul will be satisfied. We won't be doing this stuff for the flesh because our soul is satisfied. But if I'm living this back and forth life, I'm never satisfied, which leaves me vulnerable to needing this momentary uh, taste of the of pleasure from the flesh. Because I'm not living in and abiding in the joy and the peace and the, the pleasure of knowing God. That's what David said uh, in, in Psalms that Peter quoted in Acts 2. He said, Thou wilt show me the, la- the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. So when I am habitually or consistently uh, living in, in, in a, living in the spirit, Galatians 5 says, and there, I'm walking in the spirit, therefore I'm living in the spirit. When I'm consistently doing that, then I have joy, fullness of joy, and I have pleasure. But when I'm not consistently doing that, no, maybe I'm not doing bad things very much, just occasionally, just to get a little bit of pleasure from my flesh. Maybe I'm doing what I'm supposed to do most of the time, but I'm not doing it consistently, and I'm not fellowshipping with the Lord. I'm just visiting him at church, or maybe I spend a few minutes with him every day, but he's not in my thoughts and heart the rest of the day. So I don't get this fulfillment when that's the case. My eyes, which have such a tremendous blessing, potential to be a blessing to me, and are a blessing from God to me, become one of my greatest enemies. Because that need for pleasure, because I'm not getting anything to the degree that God has promised over here because I'm not consistently walking with him, that need for that momentary pleasure is so easily triggered by what I see. 
It is the soul's repeated surrender to the temptation to look that leads to the conception of sin. James says that we are uh, tempted when we're drawn away of our own lust and enticed, and lust, when it is conceived, brings forth sin. And what is the the conception of sin? It is an action. The conception or the decision to act on these feelings gives this power, this lust power over us. And when we do that habitually, that's called a stronghold. Repeated surrenders lead to a coupling of each surrender to the same or like sins, which makes the temptation in that area a stronghold. Because I have repeatedly fallen in that area, uh, and so I need to be freed from that habitual action and by the grace of God empowered to begin to create a new habit of walking with him and fellowshipping with him. Again, the reason our eyes are such a source of temptation is because our flesh remembers the lust that is experienced by surrendering to the lust. These memories release feelings of the anticipated pleasure which the adversary attempts to convince us that they are impossible to resist. And to, to get us to give in to this temptation or to be distracted by this temptation, he causes us to see something that, again, we see memory created, feelings there, and we, we immediately associate what we're seeing with past experiences of fleshly pleasure, and we give in to that. Once we reach a certain point of habitual surrender to these lusts, no amount of the exertion of human will can free us. There comes a point where we're truly in bondage to that. It's now a spiritual thing. It's no longer an emotional thing. It's no longer a mental thing. It's no longer a fleshly thing. I'm now in bondage to the influences of the the corresponding spirits of that thing. So uh, the word fornication is the Greek word pornoia, which is the root word for uh, pornography. And so therefore, when I give myself to that on a repeated basis because of the pleasure the flesh gets out of that, there comes a point that it's no longer the work of the flesh of pornography. I am now under the influence of the spirit of pornography. And now, repentance alone will not free me from this. Only a deliverance from God will free me from this by the blood of Jesus. All, where does all this start? All of it starts with undisciplined eyes. Eyes that are not governed by biblical principles. So in order for us to be freed, only God and God alone can pull down the stronghold and set us free. We need the grace of God at work in us to both set us free and keep us free so that we can fellowship with God and serve him faithfully. I'm hoping that you are beginning to see the importance of studying what the word of God says about our eyes 
and how we use them. I'm hoping that this introduction is giving you some idea of why the eyes are so powerful as a tool for God and so powerful as a tool for temptation from the flesh and the adversary. Because what God meant for good, the adversary wants to use for evil. Let's not let him take this gift from God and use it to destroy our souls. God bless you in Jesus' name.